I would like to continue with the topic I had shared with you last time. And this topic, every one of you know, it's a subject of subjects. It is a subject that you will never be able to exhaust. Because we are talking about an eternal God. We are speaking about one who has no beginning, he has no end. We can speak about him all through eternity. And so what we share this morning, or what we continue to share, is not the end. It is only a scratching of the surface, what we might say. Because Jesus, who is the author, the originator of all things, the creator of all things, you cannot grasp him. A finite mind cannot grasp an infinite God. So this morning I want to share with you scriptures. And this is going to bless your heart this morning. I am sure many of you know these scriptures, but often we have to be reminded, as we heard this morning, you were reminded, Peter was reminded of the word of God, what Jesus spoke. We have to be reminded constantly, we have to bring this to our remembrance, because by renewing our mind, we will be able to walk our walk. And through that walk, we will be able to tell others about Jesus, because there's so many concepts about Jesus in this world today. So many concepts uh, about him among different groups of people. I cannot call all of them as denominations because not all of those who claim Jesus Christ as Lord, not all of them belong to him and not all of them know him. So where do we stand this morning? Are we one among those groups or do we walk with Jesus? That is the question. He said this morning as we sang, just a closer walk with thee. You want to walk closer with Jesus. And so this morning I've come here to share the word of God. And before I go into what the Lord laid upon my heart the very last time, while I was preparing, these scriptures came to me and I said, Lord, I'm going to put this down because you said so. Because the Lord said so. It is his word. So to continue with, to say with the topic, who do you say that I am? I'll just mention those three passages of scripture we took. So that when you go back home, if you want to read it, you can read it. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 18. John 17, verse 3. And 2 John 9. All three speak about the foundation of the church. What is eternal life and the doctrine of Christ. And it culminates in a question where Jesus says, Who do you say that I am? But I want to go this morning to John chapter 15. And verse 6. If you want to turn your Bibles to John 15 and verse 6, please turn your Bibles. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. There's only one way to abide in Jesus. Only one way. Now, these words are the most profound words. When I use these words, most profound words, every word that is spoken in this book is profound. But there's a timely word that will come to you. If you see what Jesus is saying, this is heavy stuff. This is the most serious stuff. He says, if you do not abide in me, you will be cast out as a branch. And then he says, you will be burned. That is very clear what will happen at the time of judgment. It is very clear for us that now as we walk our life, that we abide in Jesus. So what does it go on to say? How do we abide in Jesus? In John 15 verse 7, it says, I'll just read part of the scripture. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. So now you get the message. It's the word of God. If you abide in Jesus and his word abides in you. There is no other way to abide in Jesus. If you want to abide in Jesus by your own opinions, I'm sorry. That is not what the word of God says. You cannot follow him. You follow him and obey him according to his word. It's either his word and his way or you go down astray. You go down the wrong way. The word abide comes from 
the Greek word meno, and the word meno means to remain, not to depart, to be held, kept continually, to remain as one, to remain as one. We become one with Jesus. It says not to become another. Just that word abide, that's what it means. So it is not possible for us by ourself or willpower, but by God's power. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's only through Him that we can abide in Jesus. If we are trying to abide in our own strength, we will keep failing. And that is the point of desperation that brings you on your knees and takes you to Jesus, where you make sure that you become one with God, that you, His word becomes number one in your life. This is your soul food. If you do not feed on this, your soul will perish. It is true. You can claim how much you want about Jesus, but if you do not feed on this, your soul will perish. We all know what our earthly man needs. This flesh man needs natural food, but what does a spiritual man need? He needs spiritual food. You need that manna every day. Feed your soul. Nourish your soul. If you care so much about that soul which is eternal, give first importance and priority to the word of God. So, this is a serious matter. I wanted to lay this down first as the Lord laid this upon my heart. This is the serious matter. If this is not the first thing in your life, then everything else will not matter to you because you either abide in Christ or you are not in him. I want to continue with the last point that I stopped last time. I came to the place where we spoke about the angel of the Lord. And we've seen when the angel of the Lord spoke, he spoke exactly as I am would speak. That was an appearance of Jesus Christ. He appeared in the burning bush. He appeared to Samson's parents, Manoah. And he made many other appearances we know in the Old Testament. One of the other appearances of Jesus in the Old Testament is when the three Hebrew lads were thrown into that fire in Daniel chapter 3 when King Nebuchadnezzar turns around and he looks and he sees, he says, we threw three inside, but now we can see four. And the fourth one is like the Son of God. The Son of God. He is in the Old Testament. The Son of God because he is the eternal God. He is the everlasting God. So I want to share this and I wanted to go into the book of Hebrews to speak to you about this topic because the book of Hebrews is very clear. Here you will find what God says about his own son. God the Father, Father bears witness to his son Jesus Christ. Jesus bears witness to the Father. That is why you cannot separate the Father and the Son. It is impossible to separate them. The Father and the Son are one. Jesus declared it. I and the Father are one. It was declared in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4 where Moses was told to declare these words. He said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And Jesus himself declared that. This is one of the reasons why you know the Jews picked up stones to stone Jesus every time he declared this because they knew what he was saying. They knew that though he was a man, he was making himself equal with God. They didn't understand that because he is equal with God. He was in no respect less than God. Being fully man on this earth, yet he was in equal standing with his God. But he had come here for the purpose of redemption. I will share that part when you come later because brothers and sisters, I believe when you go out into this world, you're going to be challenged with such questions. They're going to be thrown at you. What would you answer? You know the truth. You know who the Lord is. But if you do not know his word, oftentimes you're put in a corner. We do not need to be put in a corner because we stand on the foundation of the truth. And if you keep developing your life on the foundation of this truth, you will never fail. Because the man that built his house on the foundation, it says, when everything came against him, his house stood. But the man who did not build his house on the foundation of the rock, when the troubles of life came against him, that house fell. And that is speaking about his very own self. In Hebrews chapter 1, the father Yahweh declares that his son is God. He calls him God and all the angels of God must worship him. We'll go to that passage. Does the Bible allow angelic worship? 
Have you found it anywhere in the word of God when it says you are allowed to worship angels? If you can worship one angel, you can worship all angels. So we'll see what the word of God says. If you go to Exodus chapter 20, verses 2 to 5, that's the very first commandment. The first commandment says, you shall worship the Lord thy God and him only will you serve. Him only. You cannot have any other gods before him. That's the very first commandment. God will not break his commandment. God does not contradict himself. Man can contradict himself. Religion can contradict themselves. Satan is the number one. He's the one who comes to contradict the word of God. He takes the word of God and he twists the word of God. That is all he is good at. The way to discern him is by reading the word of God and living the word of God and letting the spirit of God lead you. So you find many references in Exodus chapter 20, 2 to 5, Colossians chapter 2 verses 18, Romans 1, 25, Matthew 4, 9 and 10, Revelation 22, 8 and 9 says that you cannot worship an angel. When you have time, please read these scriptures because you're going to have the opportunity to share with others who Jesus is. Hebrews 1, I'm going to read from verse 5 to 14. Let's hear the word of God. Hebrews chapter 1, starting from verse 5. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, he is the father, Yahweh, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee, and again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bring it in the first begotten into the world, he said, and let all the angels of God worship him. The angels of God worship Jesus Christ. They worship him because he is the creator of all things. And this is what the father says. And he says, and of the angels, he said, who make it his angels, spirits, and his ministers a flame of fire. That is who the angels are. They are ministering spirits. They come to minister to the heirs of salvation. But what did the father say to the son? He said, but unto the son, he said, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, has anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning has laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but you remain, and they shall all wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture thou fold them up, shall thou fold them up, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. But unto which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? These passages of scripture are often taken and twisted. But if you listen carefully to the word of God, the only way to support your scripture is let scripture interpret scripture. If you want to defend your cause and stand from the Old Testament right into the New Testament, you'll find they run together. There is no contradiction in the word of God. If you think you're finding a contradiction, that is a place you're going to find gold. If you start digging deep, you will find gold. You will find treasure. You will find a revelation of the word of God. So don't stop at the point. Go into the Old Testament, start searching the scriptures and studying the, the scriptures. When you go to Psalm 45, verse 6 and 11, let's read that. Psalm chapter 45, verses 6, and, 6 to 11.
Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Thou lovest righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. All thy garments smell of myrrh and aloes and cassia out of the ivory palaces whereby they have made thee glad. So from the Old Testament, God is speaking about his very own son. When you begin to read the word of God, this is one thing that I had missed in my early years of Christianity. And I know this, this, this folly in my life. And this is why I share this with many Christians. When you begin to read the word of God, there's one thing that you look for. There's one thing you look for. You look for the pearl of great price. You look for Jesus. You look for him and you find him in the scriptures. When you find Jesus in the scriptures, you have found the treasure. That is the time a man gives up everything and goes and runs after Jesus. But if you keep looking at the scriptures only for knowledge and only for that purpose, that is all you will get. You will get knowledge and you will get information, but you will miss out on what the Bible is all about. It is really the story or the real event about a God becoming man. It's about redemption. It's about this one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And God the Father, all through the scriptures, he has been talking about his son. If you go back to the time when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, many were looking for the Messiah. We heard this morning that Israel is now looking for the Messiah. They think that the Messiah has not come because their belief of the Messiah was very wrong. They got the wrong understanding of what the Messiah would be, thinking that he would come and establish the kingdom on earth, give them peace, and they would all become wealthy and rich. And this is one of the re reasons why Judas himself fell away, because he thought this Messiah is going to die. He's not the real Messiah, because they ran after the wrong intentions. But if you look all through the word of God, those who sought him earnestly from the heart, they found him. But yet there were other people. I heard this preach from one of uh, the wonderful brothers who preaches the, the word of God. He said that there were three schools in, uh, in Jerusalem. Three schools of thought. Three schools of people who were looking for the Messiah. It made me laugh, but it also made me cry. He said, one said he will come out of Egypt. They belong to the school of Egypt. Another read the, uh, the passage where it says he'll come out of Nazareth. And they belong to the school of Nazareth. The other group said he would come out of Bethlehem. And they belong to the school of Bethlehem. All three were right. They were not wrong. But they still missed him. What was the point? They still missed him. But yet they were simple fishermen who Jesus went to them. Because their heart was after the Lord. This morning, that is my question to you. Are you after the Lord Jesus Christ? Is he your everything in your life? If he is everything in your life, this word of God will become alive to you. This word of God, of God will transform your life. It will change your destiny. This is why I was led to share, to say, if you do not know Jesus Christ, you do not know where you are going. Unless you know him, and you know him personally in a relationship, will your destiny be secure. This will change your destiny. The consequences of eternity lie on the foundation of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan's lie is a lie that Jesus is a created angel. Satan has lied to, to groups of people. He has taken various parts of scripture and he has brought corruption to the minds of people because they were not able or did not have a heart to really serve God. If they really had a heart to find the Lord Jesus Christ, they would, found him. they would find him. This morning, I believe the Lord has brought me here, not because I have anything, I have nothing of my own, because I want to stand on the word of God. The Lord has brought me here to speak his word, and his word will destroy the lies of Satan. I cannot destroy the lies of Satan, but the word of God will destroy the lies of Satan this morning. If you have people in your family, if there are struggles that you are going through, I want to challenge you to come to this. Whatever be a challenge, the word of God is going to be a shield. It's going to be a buckler. The word of God is going to be your only hope. And this is the foundation on which you will stand, on Christ the solid rock. 
through this word, you will destroy Satan. Remember what he did to Jesus. When Jesus was taken to be tempted, he took the word of God. What audacity. What audacity to take the word of God to the word of God. But he took the word of God with a deception. He took the word of God to cause him to fall. Do you see that? Can the word of God be used in such a manner? Satan can use it. He can use it to his advantage. But if you know the truth, as Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And this morning, the truth is going to set you free. Those who might hear the word later, you can take these scriptures and show to them and the truth will set them free. That is the way one is liberated. The other fallacy that we read, as we've read from the book of Hebrews, they pick on titles that Jesus had. The titles that say he's the firstborn, first begotten, and first fruits. These are titles that are given to Jesus. And we will go through this and see why was he called this. Why did he have these titles that were given to him? We can go simply through other scriptures. It says that Jesus is called the Lamb of God. Jesus is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Is Jesus a literal lion? Or is Jesus a literal lamb? But those were titles given to him because that is who he is. He came to redeem the world. But titles can be taken and misinterpreted and used to twist the word of God. So, first begotten, first born, and first fruits are titles given to Jesus that he might have the preeminence. When you go to the book of Colossians and you read from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 18, let's read that portion. Colossians chapter 1, reading from verse 15 to 18. This is Christ's preeminence. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things. You heard that word? All things. It does not leave anything out. All things were created by him and for him. It was created by him. He is the creator. He is the originator of all things. And he is before all things. He is before all things. That's what the word of God says. Because he is the eternal God. He is the everlasting God. If I come and add to the scriptures anywhere, that scripture can be defeated by picking up scriptures from the rest of the word of God because scripture will bear witness to scripture. You cannot change one part of the Bible and say you have a Bible in error. You cannot change one part and say people misunderstood it because when you go to the other books of the word of God, they will, uh, they will uh, break those contradictions. It will destroy those contradictions. Books that were taken out of the Bible, you will find they did contradict scripture. They were not the breathed word of God. It was not breathed by the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, did not move the hearts of those men to write. They do contain scripture. They can have 95% of scripture. They can have 99% of scripture. But if it's in 1% error, it's totally wrong. And that's how we find the word of God supporting God's word. And he says, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. The word preeminence is because he is before all things, that he might hold the first place. But remember the dispensation. If you understand what dispensations are, the time periods that God had given, they were appointed times. God has appointed times. Remember that. There was an appointed time for the flood. There was an appointed time of judgment at that time. There was an appointed time when Jesus would come and die on the cross. And Jesus did die on the cross according to the appointed time. And there is an appointed time when Jesus will come back again. And he will come back again. Because what happened then 
we read through the word of God, there were hundreds of prophecies. But if you look to the prophecy of a second coming, there are three times more. It speaks threefold more of who Jesus is and he will come back again. So Jesus came in at an appointed time. His incarnation happened about 2,000 years ago when God appeared in flesh at the appointed time. Do you want to find that scripture? You can go to that word. This is how we destroy the lies of Satan. This is how you come against lies. This morning, I have been really angry with the righteous anger against the lies that have been propagated. I could not stand to see what the enemy has been doing and the church has been weak. Do we believe that? The church has been weak? Yes. The church has taken a back step. We have gone backwards and we have, we have prayed. We thank God for those who are praying. But praying will help when you act. Praying will help when you do what the word of God tells you to do. And we are here at a point in time today when we see everything going down the wrong way. It looks like and it's very clear what Jesus spoke about the last church, the lukewarm church. It's time that we wake up. It's time, as the scripture says, arise you who sleeps and Christ will give you light. It is a time for us to stand up and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we hold back because we fear persecution, I can tell you that is a grave danger for you and me. Because persecution was the sign of the true church. Persecution was a sign that these people really knew the Lord. Persecution will make you strong. Paul's persecutions did not make the church weak. They grew stronger because they knew what he was doing for the Lord. Galatians chapter 4, reading from verses 4 and 5. This is what it says. But when the fullness of the time had come. If you read those words carefully, it says the fullness of the time. The time is the appointed time. The divine appointment when Emmanuel would come. When God would us. When he will come and tabernacle with man. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. To redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. How wonderful is this? God comes at the appointed time. God appears in flesh. I want to read Titus 2 and from verses 11 to 14. Let's read that scripture. anyone there before me? Yes, Titus chapter 2, from 11 to 14. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation had appeared, he appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak. Paul says, these things speak. Should we speak them? Or should we remain silent? We ought to speak them. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. We must speak these things. Speak them in the church. Speak them on the streets. Speak them in the place you work. Speak them to everyone. Because without this, they will go to a lost eternity. They will not know who this God is. He did appear in flesh. 1 Timothy 3.16 I love this. I love this portion of scripture. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. God appeared in flesh. God came in flesh. 
Not an angel came in flesh, but God appeared in flesh. That is who he is. You cannot separate the Godhead because the mystery of the Godhead is great. The Trinity of God, you can try to explain as much as you want to explain, but he is one God. He is one true God. Three persons in one. In office, you see the office of the Father, you see the office of the Son, and you see the office of the Holy Spirit. They all work together in your salvation. They all work together in your redemption. When we see the scriptures, we'll go through the book of Matthew, and we'll see what Jesus says as we go later. So Jesus comes as man. Jesus comes as an absolute man. He comes as a perfect man. And because he comes as a perfect man to redeem us, and he destroys Satan on the cross. On the cross when Jesus died, a battle was fought. The battle was fought for your soul and mine. Jesus fought him in the flesh. And Jesus defeated him on that cross. That wicked spirit does not like anyone to know that. Because if, he wa if you allow anyone to know that, it is his shame. Why does he want to bring shame to himself? So he goes about denying the truth. He goes about denying that Jesus died on the cross. He goes about denying that Jesus rose from the dead. He goes about denying that Jesus is only an angel, that he's not a deity. He uses all kinds of methods. And the word of God says, do not be ignorant of his devices. He is that old serpent. He did the same thing in the Garden of Eden. He will continue doing the same thing today. Brothers and sisters, you are not here to fear Satan. You serve a living God. Jesus declared it. He said, the prince of this world is coming, but he has already been judged. His judgment has been passed. His place has been decided. His eternity has been sealed. But what about your eternity? That is the question. Who would you listen to? Would you listen to Satan and fall for his lies? Or would you go to the word of God and seek the truth with all your heart? And find eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ. For he is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to the Father. Psalm 90, verse 2. This is what you read in Psalm chapter 90 and verse 2. He says, Before the mountains were brought forth, O ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, Thou art God. You see the words, from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. It means he has no beginning. There is no beginning for him. The creator is the eternal one. He is the one, as the scripture says, read these words carefully. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hadst formed the earth, even before the earth was formed, and the world even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Scripture will always bear witness to Scripture. And from here, we can go to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is one of the most profound prophecies. That one book, from that one prophet, Isaiah would destroy every lie. A Jew will come to Christ. He will find Jesus when he reads Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is one chapter they like to pull out of that book because Isaiah 53 speaks about the true Messiah. This book, Isaiah, gives you about a time period before the creation, even before time that we knew, we knew the time when angels inhabited the earth, a time when none of us were created yet. There was a creation that happened then. That, that's the time when the world was, was destroyed and then God recreated the world. You can find that in the book of Genesis. It's not a gap theory. Many people think it's a gap theory. But if you want to understand the scriptures and you take the word of God and you look at it in the original text, search for it in the original text, the original text will remove all the fallacies. There are so many fallacies that we understand that the English language is unable to bring out the strength of the word because the English language is weak in that manner, but it is not in error. This Bible is not in error. This Bible is written in this manner that you might go and seek the truth. And when you seek the truth, you will find it. Isaiah 43 verse 3. For I am the Lord thy God, 
the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I am the Lord, thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. The God of Israel. Yes, Yahweh is the God of Israel. Yahweh is the God of Israel. That's his name. That's what the, mean, the, the word Lord means. But Yahweh is also the Savior. Because Jesus and Yahweh, Yeshua and Yahweh are one. They are perfect one. They are in perfect union. You cannot separate the Father from the Son. If you say, as I shared with you last time, you cannot have the Father without the Son. You cannot have the Spirit without the Son. If you are trying to get one without the other, you are in a state of error. And that's where error comes in. And this whole book, right from the book of Isaiah, is pointing out to who the Messiah is. Who the Messiah is. He came at the appointed time. They are now looking for a Messiah, thinking this Messiah is going to come and solve their problems. That is all that they are looking for. They are looking for someone who can solve their problem. If you are looking for Jesus this morning only to solve your problem, I'm sorry, at some point of time in your life, when your problem is not solved, when it comes to a point like that, you will turn away from Jesus. He's not just a problem solver. He came to solve the most important issue. That most important issue is to redeem your soul, to save your soul. Are you saved? That is the question. Ask yourself this question. Examine yourself if you are in the faith to know if you are in Christ Jesus. Isaiah 43, verses 10 to 12. Let's read that portion. Isaiah 43, and these three verses. You are my witnesses, said the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me, and understand that I am He. God the Father is saying, He has sent His servant. And He says, this is my servant who has come. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he, what does He say about Him? He says, I am He. I am Him. Yahweh and Yeshua are absolutely one. The God of the Old Testament, who is known as Jehovah, His real name is Yahweh. People have changed names. They have changed names to suit themselves in different languages. But his name is Yahweh. And his name is Yeshua. That's what is in Hebrew. But if you call upon Jesus, absolutely true. He is Jesus. He is that Lord. We all know him as Jesus. You are not denied in any respect. But if you want to be endeared to the Lord, his name is Yahweh. And his name is Yeshua. And he says, Behold my servant, I am he. Look at him. He says, Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. There is no God before me, there is no God after me. How can you put a God next to God the Father? Can you add a God? Can you bring the scripture that says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God? Is that right? Thou shalt not add to the scripture. If you add to the scripture or remove from the scripture, you are in a place of damnation. You are going down to that place because scripture will interpret scripture. That is the way we defeat the lies of Satan. And verse 11 says, I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no savior. Besides God, there is no savior. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You look at them, perfect union. God the Father is revealed in the flesh. He comes into this world to save us from our sins. I have declared and have saved, and I have showed when there was no strange God among you. Therefore, you are my witnesses, said the Lord, that I am God. I am the Lord your Holy One, that's verse 15, the Creator of Israel, your King. This is why the people could not accept Jesus. 
Because Jesus was very clear. He did not deny who he was. But we often deny Jesus. We heard this morning to communion what happened with Peter. He denied the Lord, but he repented. We heard of Judas. He betrayed the Lord, and his repentance led to eternal damnation because there was no godly sorrow that worked in his life. He did not come after Jesus for the right reason. We often wonder, why, Lord, did you not save him? There are other versions, I can't call them versions, books that speak lies about Judas. That Judas, because he did the will of God, that Judas would be found in heaven. But Jesus himself declared it and called Judas the son of perdition. He said it was better for him that he was not born. Because that man has gone to a place of lost eternity. You see how people take books, try to add them into the word of God and give you a false doctrine. Because when you have a false doctrine, you can be deceived. The whole purpose of Satan is to deceive you. He wants your soul. That is all that he wants. This is all that he is seeking. How he can steal your soul. He comes to rob, steal and to kill. When you see those three things happening, you know whose work it is. Isaiah 42 verse 8. We are just there next to 43. Verse 8 says, I am the Lord. That is my name. And my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to any graven image. God will not share his glory with another. Do you hear Jesus speaking that in, in, in John chapter 17? What does Jesus say to the Father? He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son with the glory that we had before the world was. So the Father declares that he will not share his glory with another. He will not contradict himself. He cannot contradict himself because God is not a man. God does not lie, but man lies. Man is under the influence of the deceiver. He will lie. But here you find it in the scriptures. Isaiah 42.8 and John 17.5. Both these scriptures bear witness. God's word says, Every word shall be established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. God bears witness to his word. If there's no witness to his word, it is not the word of God. Remember, there's a book that came 600, later, uh, uh, sorry, 600 years later after the Bible, the Quran. The Quran is an absolute lie. You believe that? It's an absolute lie. Because that book contradicted. It contradicted the word of God. He picks every prophet that belongs to this scripture, this holy scripture. He twists it, he turns it, and he creates a false gospel. Those, those words were given in a cave. They were given in a dark place. Not in the place of light. They bore no witnesses. And those people claim to say that they have one book, and they have one prophet, and they have one God with no witnesses. Try going to a court of law with no witnesses, and see how your case will stand. They will be, it will be thrown out. It will be thrown out because you have no witnesses. But our God bore witness. Our God bore witness. When Jesus came and Jesus was baptized, the Father spoke from heaven and he said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Hear the Lord Jesus Christ. Hear what he says. If you will hear his voice this morning and not harden your heart, the Lord will, will save you. The Lord will redeem you. One has not made a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's time to make your commitment to him. That will change your destiny. I want to read a few other verses that declares who Jesus is. Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6. Isaiah 44, verse 6. Thus saith the Lord... The King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last and besides me there is no God. Have you heard that spoken before? 
I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. When you open up the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 1, one single chapter, three times Jesus declares to John who he is. He says, I am the Alpha and I am the Omega. I am the Aleph and I am the Tav. The Aleph is the beginning of all things and the Tav is the end of all things. That is the original Hebrew text. When you go into Greek, he uses Alpha and Omega, which means the first and the last. Do you see Jesus Christ there? Do you see him less than God the Father? Do you see him in any respect less than the attributes of God? You cannot find that. You've got to go through your scriptures to be able to stand up and speak. In Revelation 1.8, Revelation 1.11, and Revelation 1.17 and 18, I want to read Revelation chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. Revelation chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. And now this is what John says. John is taken up in the spirit. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. So he's the one who liveth and was dead dead. This is Jesus speaking because Jesus died on the cross and he says, and behold I am alive forevermore. Amen. And he says, so be it and have the keys of hell and of death. So here you see you cannot separate. It is impossible to separate. If you have the book of Revelation with the book of Isaiah, put both these scriptures together. You will be able to destroy the lies of Satan. This morning, this is why the Lord has brought me here, to speak these words, to speak his word, to destroy Satan's lies. Satan is a liar. We can say it loud this morning. He is a liar. He is a deceiver. All that he can do is speak lies. Because even when he speaks the truth, he does lie because he does not know the truth and he cannot do the truth. This is the Jesus whom we worship and adore. He is the God, the eternal God who became man. He could not be begotten in eternity because of his eternal deity. But he was begotten in humanity for the purpose of offering the sacrifice of redemption. Being made of the seed of Abraham, that is according to the flesh, to destroy sin in the flesh, and the one who had the power of death, that is the devil. That is the reason why Jesus came in flesh. The eternal God who was manifest as man. Romans 8 verse 3 and Hebrews chapter 2 verse uh, 14 speaks of this. I'm going to share this briefly before we end. When Jesus went to heal a man, he went to heal a man of palsy, I believe. It was Matthew chapter 9 verses from 2 to 6. And Jesus told him, your sins be forgiven you. Your sins be forgiven you. Why did Jesus say that? Your sins be forgiven you. Because he knew those Jews who were standing around him would rise up in their hearts to say, what authority does a man have to say your sins be forgiven? And then Jesus said, Jesus knew what they were thinking in their hearts. He said, is it better to say, rise up, arise, take up your bed and walk, or to say, your sins be forgiven you? Because they knew the scriptures. He was pointing to the word of God. And that is what he says in Psalm 103. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. What does he do? He heals all your diseases and he forgives all your iniquities. That was Yahweh speaking right there. He forgives all your sins and he heals all your diseases. That is what happened to the man. He was forgiven his sins and he was healed all his, uh, his disease, diseases. And the greatest disease that God has come to destroy is the disease of sin. Our God is a jealous God. He will not share his glory with another. Yet, 
with the sun. He shares his glory because his son is not another. He is the exact image of the father. There is nothing less of him in glory or worship. That's Revelation chapter 5. How can mere mortal men reduce the Redeemer to an angel or a firstborn created being? It has to be foolish understanding that is darkened by the God of this world and by the use of human wisdom and intellect, which is both carnal and devilish. If you are trying to find Christ by your human wisdom and intellect, it is both carnal and devilish. The Holy Scriptures attribute to the Son of God the very attributes of God the Father by calling him Ancient of Days, the Creator, the Everlasting Father, Father of Eternity, Eternal Life, Almighty God, Wonderful Counselor, the First and the Last, the Most High, the Lord of Hosts, the Righteous Judge and the King. If Jesus was not absolute deity, we would have no right to worship him this morning. The Son of Man is the Son of God, who is co-equal with the Father in eternity and one with the Father in deity. And that's what Philippians chapter 2 verse 10 says, that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. Blessed be his name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. Father, we cannot add to your word. We cannot remove to your word. I pray, Father, where your word has gone forth, that your word, Lord, will bring forth fruit, Lord. Lord, this morning, all I could do is come and speak what is in your word, Father. I thank you, Jesus, that when you come, you will judge us according to your word, Father. And you've asked us to walk the narrow way. You've asked us to walk in the highway. I pray, Father, that each one of us gathered here would walk in the King's highway, Father. Lord, I come at this time to you. And I pray, Father, that as your people go forth, that they will be blessed by your word. And this will bear much fruit in their life. In Jesus' name.